The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And uh, you have sung the Psalms, those things we've been studying the last eight to ten weeks. And so uh, may, may we be grateful for that opportunity. Uh, our pastoral prayer today is our time where we pray for just something in our church. We want to be thankful for God being King of kings and Lord of lords. We have just sung about how Jesus was, uh, as it was prophesied, was taken to that cross. And they, they waged over his clothes and there was no one there for him, it seemed. But, but God, the Father, of course, sent his Son to die for our our sins on that cross, as was the predetermined plan. And we want to thank the Lord that we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. After I pray, I'm going to have, I'll introduce Brian, and then he'll be ready to go. Uh, he has practiced his sermon up on the road, and he says he's within 30 minutes. So you hold him to that. That's a joke, by the way. But uh, we look forward to Brian coming as he does in a few minutes. Let's pray together. Thank you again for your attendance. We'll pray, and I'll give an introduction, and we'll go from there with uh, Reverend Peters. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this time. We love you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we know that we are not deserving people. There's nothing in us that is good. There's nothing in us that is worthy. There's nothing in us that is beautiful, Father, in your eyes, apart from your grace. You have created us in your image, and we are set apart above the animals, to be sure. But as sinners, Lord, we are in need of a Savior. So, Lord, we thank you that your son came forth, born of a virgin, born under the law, at just the right time to die for us. And Father, those aren't just words that we say to pat ourselves on the back. Those are words we say to thank you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Father, as we worship you today, we are grateful that over every square inch of this world and every square inch of this universe, you are Lord and Lord indeed. And Father, there's not one that can ever take that away. Satan tried it. It didn't work. Kingdoms have tried it. They have failed and fallen. Father, you are the only one who ever is everlasting from everlasting. You are God. So, Father, this morning, be with our brother as he comes to preach. Thank you for getting him here safely. Father, may you bless us through these words, these familiar words of Psalm 22 we have sung, and now we will hear studied. And, Father, be lifted high, be glorified. We thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Brian, I'm going to invite you up here. We're going to kind of do a, a COVID dance up here, but we'll make it work. Um, this is Brian Peters. Uh, Brian and I met at William Jewell College, uh, as many of you know locally, Billy Jewell Bible School, as it was uh, known many years ago. Uh, we met when it was not a Bible school. We met when it was a, uh, well, it was the, 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 the Bible ship was going down quickly with the water, let's say it that way. So Brian and I formed a friendship over many years of, of standing up for the faith and what it meant to stand together and speak uh, the truth to people in love. We've, we've kept up over the years. Uh, I consider him to be my best friend. He has a better beard than I have, but uh, outside of that, we love him still. Brian comes from a Presbyterian church in Indiana. Uh, they do things a little bit differently in their church, and we do things a little bit differently here. But he's a Baptist by heritage. His father and mother served as missionaries uh, on the American Baptist side for many years in Thailand, and uh, there's a whole history there as well. Brian is married to Summer. They have one daughter, Anna, who's now almost five, almost five years old. That's hard to believe. Uh, Brian is a graduate of the Reformed the uh, whew, 
Puritan. I'm getting I'm getting all these reform things. Brian graduated from Puritan uh, Seminary uh, under Joel Beakey in Michigan and uh, has served in various positions. He's a full-time hospital worker while also being a part-time pastor, if that's possible, on the side of his congregation. Brother, let me pray for you, and I love you. Uh, we, we told each other we'd shake hands because we've been around each other. It is what it is. Uh, let's pray, and I will turn it over to Brian from here. Lord, as we come together, we thank you so much for your son. Thank you for Brian. Uh, he has been more to me than most people in this world, save my wife and, and just a handful of others. We know that to be true. So, Lord, may he bless our church. It's been three and a half years since he filled this pulpit. Father, thank you that we have someone who can come and preach the word, as we do have men here who can preach the word. But use our brother today. Thank you so much for this psalm. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said again, amen. Reverend Peters. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is my great privilege and my joy to be here with you today, uh, both because of my great love for my dear brother and your pastor and my knowledge of the ways in which he has faithfully shepherd you, uh, shepherded you as a flock uh, for these past years, and also because the subject that we come to today from the scriptures is very near and dear to my heart. It is, as I pray we will see, a subject which is none other than the very gospel of Christ at its core. And it is one which I dearly long to see uh, recovered in churches across this nation and indeed all over the earth. As we come to this marvelous gift that we have been given in singing the Psalms of Jesus Christ. Now we have already, as you've heard, sung the text, as it were, for this sermon we have been singing from Psalm 22 already this day. And so I will not read that particular text again, but here just for a moment, read where this psalm is cited in the New Testament, in Hebrews in the second chapter. We look to Hebrews chapter 2, and I read the following words beginning at verse 9, written of our Savior. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And now listen closely here, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. They're the very word of God. Well, friends, Lord willing, today we look to see a very simple truth taught in this passage of Scripture and taught in the 22nd Psalm, one which we have already sung. Namely, it is nothing other than that Jesus sings in the midst of his church. 
Jesus sings in the midst of his church. This is, as your pastor often says, our big idea for the day. And Lord willing, we will find that it is a very big idea indeed. Well, first, as we read, we must see in the scriptures that Jesus sang. If there is one thing that we know from this, it is indeed that we have a singing Savior. As we are told by the prophet of the Lord who sings and rejoices over his people. So throughout the Savior's life, in his life and in his death, he was marked by song. This is something that any student of the New Testament will begin to see very quickly as they compare all of the scripture texts and the references found in the life and ministry of Christ. As you read through the pages of those 27 books of the New Testament, you will find first that the most direct citations, the highest number of quotes where it says this is written, are taken from that book of Psalms, taken from the Psalter, as we might call it. And arguably, as we look to those hundreds and hundreds of allusions and indirect references, again, we find the Psalms are in the running. In the life and ministry of Christ, he constantly looks to these things in his teaching at times. In Matthew, in the seventh chapter, you may recall those very familiar words where Christ says in the 23rd verse, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now those are fearful words, words which we do not wish to be said to any one of us, words which must be preached if we would be warned from the wrath to come. But maybe you don't so often recognize that Jesus is citing a psalm there. These are words that our Savior himself would have sung and that a Jew hearing upon his ears would be warned by. In Psalm 6, the 8th verse, we sing, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And so there in his own teaching, Jesus is taking upon his lips the words of Jehovah. For he is God manifest in the flesh, God incarnate. In his teaching, Jesus taught the Psalms because he was a singer of God's holy psalm book. Throughout his teaching, he notes how he fulfills the prophecies that are found in these songs of Jesus. In John, in the 15th chapter, we see one such instance that is given to us. In the 25th verse, but this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now where was this written? Well, in Psalm 69, the fourth verse, they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. Christ applied this scripture to himself, saying that he was the culmination, the fulfillment, the high point of prophecy, and these things were written of him. Now, as I have promised, I will keep this sermon shorter, for we could spend hours going through texts of scripture and seeing the ways in which Christ, as a singer of the Psalms, 
applied these texts again and again to himself and knew them by heart. But we might just finally note that he actually, literally sang them. And we have at least one explicit example that we are given where he does so. In Matthew in chapter 26, perhaps you have passed over this in reading of that Last Supper and went, went, what, what went thereafter. In the 30th verse, it is written that when they had sung and him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I want you to pause there for a moment and consider what it was that they had sung. And too often, we hear that word, a hymn, in our ears, and we start to call to mind the words of a familiar hymn that any of us might know. But friends, as much as you might love, as much as I might appreciate the rich theology of amazing grace, how sweet the sound, after that Last Supper, Jesus was not singing the words of John Newton. Most all commentators are very much agreed. This was that great Hallel. This was that hallelujah unto God found in the Psalter that followed upon the Passover and was sung by the Jews. He and his disciples together are found here. Jesus, in the midst of his church, sang praise unto God and sang of the things which would occur to him. Most certainly, Jesus sang in his life, and even in his death. But friends, I also want to note to you today what I think is perhaps even more wondrous, what shall be my primary point today, not merely that Jesus sang, but that Jesus still sings in the midst of his church. He has sung in the midst of his congregation this very day. And this is a gospel truth for all who have ears to hear. As you read the Psalms, you will find that there are at least 14. Uh, many are agreed directly reference Jesus with prophecy applied in that very explicit way in the New Testament so that theologians call them the Messianic Psalms. We think of Psalms like Psalm 110, that most cited verse of the first verse, the Lord did say unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes a stool whereon thy feet shall stand. We think of the second psalm, and the Lord and his anointed and the kings and the princes of the earth united together against this one who will be enthroned, who will be glorified upon God's holy hill. Friends, there are psalms that speak glorious things of the Messiah, and so many have spoken of the messianic psalms. And today, we have such a psalm that has been already on our lips. Let us look for just a moment here now explicitly to Psalm 22 and consider the words that we have and will sing. In Matthew chapter 27, we read of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and these words are written. They crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Friends, those have been our words upon our lips this very day already. In the 18th verse of Psalm 22, we have read, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We read on. Matthew writes that they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And then he writes of their mocking, of their scoffing. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. What familiar words these would have been for any Jew to hear in his ear. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. The words of the 22nd Psalm that we have sung. But there is more. Who can forget the plaintive cry of the forsaken man of sorrows upon the cross about the ninth hour? Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Friends, this was no cry of doubt. This was not a sinner casting off his God. But this, in his forsakenness, was the cry of Jesus in faith. What a chill must have run down the spines of all who could hear as Jesus applies to himself this great prophetic word of what would occur to the man of sorrow. As he shows himself to be that one forsaken and accursed of God on the tree. That whosoever should believe in him should be saved. As he is forsaken, as he is accursed, he cries with faith. And he points not only his people in that day, but you and I today to who he is. And what it is that he has done. Even that very final cry. It is finished, that we know and we claim so well. This seems to so well echo the end of this psalm. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. And as we find those words coming over in the translation, it seems that Christ has claimed them upon the cross in his work saying to his people that he has done this, that he has accomplished all. Psalm 22, from beginning to end, speaks of Jesus. 
and did so quite some time before the Messiah should give up his life for his flock. Now we could stop there, because that is a wondrous gospel proclaimed, and we could focus on each verse of Psalm 22 here. But again, I want to proclaim a truth found in this psalm that is the very wonder of the Psalter itself, one that we have sung and we have heard in that letter to the Hebrews. Not only in this psalm, but in all of the psalms, we find Jesus singing together with us with one voice and applying the very gospel to our heart. It is the wonderful gift of our Savior. Both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, to call them brothers, saying, and here is what the psalm reads, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, in the midst of the congregation, will I sing praise unto thee. Today, Jesus sings. Now, friends, have you ever thought of why the Psalms are called the Psalms of David? Especially when perhaps you've read different ascriptions to them, even in Scripture itself. You've read at one point where they are called the Psalms of David and the Psalms of Asaph the seer. But why, when we want a handy way to refer to them, why is it time and again that these are the psalms particularly of David? Friends, perhaps you know that name David in its very root means beloved. As he is that great type, that pointing finger, that signpost, a king greater than David which is to come. David always pointing beyond himself, beyond his own righteousness, beyond his sins, and to that king anointed upon God's holy hill, ruling over God's holy city, who would be greater than he. This beloved one of God is not in himself the focus of the psalms, but they are the psalms of the beloved Friends, these are the psalms of David because they are the psalms of the beloved of God, the one of whom the Father has said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. From beginning to end, from 1 to 150, the whole Psalter, as the Scriptures say that the psalms speak of Christ, the psalms are the voice of the beloved of that king who has been anointed by God to sing in the midst of his people. One writer of old wrote that the Lord has taken his people into a union with himself more intimate than that even of body and soul. He and they constitute one Christ. And of that one Christ, the Psalter, the Psalm, or the voice, what does this mean? How can this be? Well, friends, when you learn to sing the psalms together with Jesus, you will be taught how to pray. As Pastor Nelson already began to teach us this day, now here is where we come to learn to pray from the lips of the Savior himself. 
We've heard those words from the Psalms already. And again, I will put my trust in him. Those words that the apostle puts upon the lips of Jesus are the words of Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. You see, friends, we have often be, been helped by those who have taught us to pray and mentored and discipled us for many years. So many of us have dear brothers and fathers and mothers in the faith who have helped us to learn how to come before God. But we have an elder brother like none other. How can you learn to take your anger and bring it before God without sinning? As Paul says, be not angry and, uh, be angry and sin not. How do you do that? It seems impossible for a man. How do you take mourning and grief and bring it before the throne of God on high and not somehow blaspheme him with your mourning and with your grief? How do you take joy in God's work without being prideful and boastful in yourself? We look to the perfect one. We look to the Savior. We look to his perfect word, and he teaches us how to put our trust in the Lord. In the Psalter, we have the very anatomy of man's soul from beginning to end. More than just happy clappy, there is grief and lamentation. There is crying out about the wickedness and the sin that plagues this world and our own lives. And as we sing those psalms together with Jesus, he teaches us how to put our trust in God in heaven. That even as he did trust and endure unto the very end upon the cross, that we following our elder brother in the faith may be perfectly conformed to his way of prayer, to his way of coming unto God. And friends, we come to God in no other way than in Jesus Christ. And here is the mystery that is at the very heart of Scripture and at the very heart of the Psalter itself. And this is the part that I so desire to proclaim to you this very day that has gotten me so encouraged and excited to be able to stand here and speak these words with you. Friends, when you sing with Jesus, you sing the gospel. You take the voice of Jesus upon your lips and you experientially, in your worship song, live out the gospel of Christ. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, we've heard things about the gospel today, of course. We've heard about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as we sung, and he means that we hear about Jesus. Well, yes, but it's more than that. One of the things that people often feel very weird, very strange about when singing these psalms, is how you come to singing these and you find yourself talking about how righteous you are. Have you ever come to a psalm trying to pray it or read it or sing it and found these words to be strange on the lips of a sinner? Psalm 7, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. 
What integrity that is in me. I have no integrity when it comes to the throne of God above. I am a worm. I am nothing. I am the refuse of the earth. I am a sinner who has violated God's law backwards and forwards. Judge me according to my righteousness. What righteousness is there in me? Psalm 18, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Did you hear that we sang from Psalm 18 already this day? But how can you, or how can you sing these words? When we have found them already in Hebrews chapter 2 applied to the Savior, how can we be rewarded according to our righteousness? And the answer for any sinner must be we cannot. You have violated the holy law of God in heaven. You have failed to do what he has commanded. And you have broken God's law. You have murdered, whether you have stuck out your hand in violence or whether it has been in your heart, and you have said to a brother, Raka, fool, your sin condemns you. But I told you that we are here singing the gospel. What did I just say? Psalm 18 is applied to Jesus Christ. How can you sing of a righteousness that you know you don't have? How can you ask God to judge you and reward you for clean hands that you don't see? If you sing with the voice of Jesus Christ, then you can. When you come to this wondrous book and you begin to sing these things that are strange and foreign about a righteousness not your own, friends, that's the gospel. That's the wondrous glory of being able to come to God and say, judge me, reward me according to my righteousness when you know you're not righteous. But you sing with the voice of the one who is God's beloved son and whom he is well pleased in. And you can be confident that if you sing together with Jesus, if you're not claiming your own righteousness but his, an alien, a foreign, a strange thing that is not your own, reckoned to you by faith, then all the promises of God's justice, his vindication, his blessing upon that righteous man, that has perfect blessedness. These are yours. They are all yea and amen in Jesus Christ. We are made the righteousness of God in him, as Paul says in that letter to the Corinthians. And maybe even a more wondrous part of that mystery is then this. You say, Pastor, I understand what you're saying there. I understand about singing about Jesus' righteousness. But you say that all the psalms are about Jesus, that they sing with his voice, that Jesus sings with this voice. How can this be when the psalms speak about man's sin, about the sin of the one who sings? How can this be? Well, friends, we've already begun to see this very day. Remember how we read the prophecy of the psalm applied to Christ that they hated me without a cause in John chapter 15. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. 
Jesus says these are his words, this is his voice. But what are the next words in the psalm? O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Do you hear that? If Jesus sings with this voice, how can this be? We know the author of Hebrews tells us later on that Christ is like unto us, being tempted most certainly, but yet being without sin. He is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and so how can he say, my sins are not hid from thee? How can he speak with the voice of David in Psalm 51, against thee, thee only have I sinned in thy sight, O God, done this ill? Well, it's that same gospel of grace. You sing these words about a righteousness not your own. As you sing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, imputed, reckoned, accounted to you. And when you sing these words about your own sin, knowing that Jesus has taken them upon his own lips, not that he has ever sinned, but they have been reckoned, imputed, accounted to him. You know that your sins are so surely washed away that though they be as scarlet, yet they shall be white as snow. And so that when you have been singing today these words of cursedness, like water I am emptied out and all my bones are torn apart, my inmost being melts away and into wax is turned my heart, my strength is dried like shattered clay, and as I fight to draw my breath, my tongue is sticking to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. You are claiming in your very song that Jesus' life and death is for you, that he has been laid in the very dust of death, that the cursedness and the forsakenness of God has been laid upon the spotless lamb that you might know the blessing accorded to the righteous man. The great exchange, your sin to Christ, that he should be accursed and cut off for his people, and his righteousness to you. This is the mystery of redemption at the heart of the psalm, that a man can only truly sing these songs of Jesus when they sing in and with Jesus Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so, friends, I have two brief exhortations to you, two things that I would call and encourage you to this day. First, you might guess very quickly, and that is sing psalms. Sing the word of Christ that he has given as his particular voice in Scripture. James writes and commands, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And while we might yet have some differences over what other songs we might sing in worship to God, surely we can all be agreed that these special songs of Jesus with his voice given for our good, our comfort, and our holiness should be part of the church's song as Jesus sings in the midst of us today. I would encourage you, I would exhort you together as a church to sing the word of Christ in the Psalter, 
in your families, to take these words upon your lips, teach them to your children that they might grow up recognizing where Jesus speaks these things in the scriptures. And when you find yourself in private, in your prayer closet, when you are overwhelmed with grief and you don't know what to say, go to the Psalms, take the words of the Savior on your lips, and he will teach you how to pray. And he will give you blessed, perfect words in that moment from his holy voice here. Sing the Psalms. Let your pastors help you to sing. Find a good psalter, a copy of these psalms set in meter as I have in my hand. There are many out there, but sing the psalms. And then secondly, and most importantly of all, let me just close with this. Friends, please again, sing with Jesus. This is my cry to you this day. This entire service of worship which we are praising our God in heaven, should not make any sense to you without Jesus Christ. I hope that you've already seen how thousands of years ago, the death and resurrection, all things pertaining to this Savior were predicted and prophesied in the Psalms. And today, my cry to you would be this, sing with him. Sing to God with a righteousness not your own, not taking your own filthy rags and laying them out before the throne of God as though you had something to give, but sing with the voice of another who is perfect and who is righteous. Come to God and lay before him your sins and listen as they have been applied to the Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. Be comforted from the words of Scripture that to all those who place their faith in him and put their trust in this rock, this refuge and deliverer, he is sure and he is faithful. But sing, friends, together with Jesus. For without Jesus, those words, depart, ye workers of iniquity, are spoken to you. If you should come, whether singing these psalms or any other psalms of worship, before the throne of God, saying, accept my worship, Dear Lord, let me into your kingdom. That will be the answer. Depart, unless your voice is together with Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and men, and that is Christ Jesus our Lord, the God-man, God manifest in the flesh. May the God of all grace Bless us, everyone, to sing together with the voice of his dearly beloved Son, and may he be well pleased in him. Let us pray together. O gracious and everlasting God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we draw nigh unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ and in his name alone knowing full well how many times we have tried to shore up our own righteousness before thee, to claim the works of our own hands, clean hands, and a pure heart that we know we do not have. And as our sins rise up against us, and as we fall into that pit, into the miry clay, yet we know, O Lord, that thou wilt set our feet upon the rock, 
thou shalt firmly establish us if only we find ourselves together, the Savior and the sanctified all of one, called by the name of brother with our elder brother Jesus Christ. O our God, this day I pray that thou shalt surely call forth whether old or the very youngest of children in our midst, all those who hear this word to know the Savior, to sing together with him, not only in this life, but forevermore. Bless with the Spirit of God that the words of Scripture may be applied to comfort and to convict, to rebuke and to reprove, but most of all, to apply the healing balm of the gospel and to shape and mold and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Bless, O Lord, everyone here this day, that we shall evermore be shaped into that image, and that thou shalt, O Lord, bless and pity us, and make thy face shine upon us, and be gracious unto us. O Lord, lift up thy countenance upon us, we pray, only in the face of Jesus Christ, and give us peace. Amen. <laughs>